Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, here with my co-host in Laura Waters-Brown for our AECOM Ohio University Sports Administration Series, Life After Court Street, uh, joined here by Jesse Giordano from GMR and Lindsay LeBennett from Wasserman. And we're going to chat today a little bit about ultimately becoming a female leader in the industry, um, some insights, lessons learned, a little bit of leadership from afar, remote working, um, and then we'll kind of see where the conversation leads. But uh, both of you, welcome, excited to discuss uh, your journey from Athens. And Lindsay was part of the PMSA program, so kind of a working plus Athens at the same time. Uh, we'll dive into maybe some of those differences, but um, welcome. And Jesse, let's just start off with you, uh, a quick GPS, as Andy would say, uh, from, from Athens to where you are. Excellent. Well, thanks, Jake, for having us and Laura um, as well. So I was class of 2010 um, and I went against the grain. So I chose not to jump straight back um, into a full time position from graduation. I was coming into it as an MSA only. Right. So it was a, a blip on the radar in terms of my experience in Athens. But instead, I took a contract position um, and went to work on site during the FIFA World Cup in South Africa. And I thank my lucky stars um, every single day. I met my now husband day two on the job in South Africa, and that really set the course for me. Um, so I returned to San Francisco um, after the 2010 World Cup, where I rejoined Sportsmark, uh, the agency that I left to go to Ohio. Um, and then later merged with GMR. So fast forward 11 years later, um, I've held five different positions within the agency, um, had two amazing children, Emma and Jack, um, and now lead GMR's San Francisco office. So I guess needless to say, it's, it's been of a whirlwind uh, in the last 10 or 11 years. And, and Lindsay, you know, Octagon, NASCAR, uh, now Wasserman, a uh, little bit of a different journey? Yes, um, different journey, uh, but I, it's ironic, you know, Jessica and I both ending up with agencies on that side of the business, uh, which is my favorite side of the business. But yeah, so I graduated from North Carolina a State University. I actually wanted to go into music until I did an internship at XM Satellite Radio, where I quickly learned that the music industry was not for me. Um, and I ironically, started interning on the NASCAR channel. And that's kind of how I got my introduction into sports. Um, from there, I moved to Daytona and I was working in NASCAR in their uh, Multicultural Marketing Diversity Affairs office. And my sole role there was to introduce the sport of NASCAR to marginalized audiences who necessarily didn't feel welcomed or didn't really understand the sport. And I loved, I loved it. From the first racetrack I went to, um, I was like, oh wow, this can be a job. Like, this is amazing. So um, from there I knew, I was like, I wanna be in sports. Um, and then, so I was at NASCAR for two years. From there I went to Octagon and that was my first taste of agency life. And uh, I knew then that I liked the variety of the work. I love the fast pace. I love the client service element to it. I love project-based work uh, because I like to create work back schedules then do the work, then examine if the worked work, if the worked if the work worked and then uh, refresh and do it again. And I love that part of agency life. Um, so I did that for a couple of years and then I transferred to Wasserman and I've been at Wasserman for 10 years now. Love Wasserman. 
Uh, honestly, the way this agency has evolved over time um, has been phenomenal. We've grown through acquisition um, and our business has grown so much. So uh, when I first started here, I was in the nationwide account managing their NASCAR business because that was kind of my track. And the last seven years, I've been really focused on NFL. So I've worked um, on the Verizon NFL business. Uh, we helped launch Surface on the Sidelines with Microsoft. Um, worked with Xbox for a year on their fantasy platform. Uh, I worked on Lenovo doing all their player deals. And then the last three years I've been on Nationwide Insurance and I've been managing their entire league deal. Uh, and then managing also their team deals, their talent deals, their media strategy, any and all things that touch their NFL business I was managing. Um, and then 2020 happened and uh, it opened up an opportunity for me to do more meaningful, impactful work in the space of culture, diversity, inclusion, educating everyone about um, certain issues that were part of a global conversation. And then also our athletes all of a sudden started to step up and say, I wanna be part of this you know, larger discussion. I wanna have more, more of an impact. And I realized that there was a void in our business uh, that we desperately needed to fill. Uh, so that led to my current role that I have been in for two weeks now, <laughs> which is um, senior director for diversity, inclusion, and equity, and, uh, and and that intersection with sports and entertainment is so important, uh, especially for our athletes, uh, because so much of our approach with marketing our athletes is not is is positioning them to the world as not just athletes, but they are human beings who have full purpose, full purposes, and have passions that they want to build upon. Um, so doing that work is my focus now moving forward. In addition to helping our brands and our properties figure out what is their vo voice in, in these cultural matters and how can I help them frame up those strategies? So it's a lot going on. It's been a hell of a two weeks, but um, I'm here and I'm surviving and thriving. <laughs> well, you know, a heck of a journey too, right? A, a lot of different roles, a lot of different um, cultures and, and areas of the industry that you've been able to experience. Um, you know, Jesse mentioned she had two kids kind of throughout her different roles um, and you're, you're a mother as well. And so I, I want to pose the, the question to, uh, we'll start with Jesse, but just some of the challenges or as you're trying to work your way up the ladder and, and accomplish these different um, goals of yours throughout your career, challenges, um, insights, and pieces of advice uh, for, for other, you know, mothers and, and, and moms working in the world of sports. Sure. Um, well, there's so many, um, but I guess if I were to start, um, I would say that, you know, I used to be a perfectionist, right? And a lot of us who have landed in our careers were, were that way, right? Very career driven, very per a perfectionist to the T. Um, and what motherhood taught me is you can't be perfect. You definitely can't be perfect all the time. And so, you know, one of the things I think about a lot is you know, being a working mom, you, you kind of have three balls up in there at any one time that you're juggling. Um, and so you've got your, your family, you've got your career, and then you've got yourself, right? And it's impossible that all three of those balls are at their height at the exact same time. There, there's got to be a give and take um, for us to be successful. Um, and I think for, for me, the moment it kind of clicked was when I gave myself permission I kind of wake up every morning and it's like permission not to be perfect, right? There are going to be um, days, weeks where my career has to come first, right? It, we're, we're prepping for a final pitch or we're leading up to a big global event. 
Um, and, you know, I'm going to come home and my house is a disaster, right? And I know like, hey, we're not going to have people over that week or, you know, we're going to just look the other way from the playroom. Um, but it's okay, right? Because it comes back around. And then, you know, there are going to be weeks where my kids are my priority and I've got to clear my schedule or I've got to, you know, be okay with saying no to something, which, you know, kills you inside because you're always trying to, to perform and be your best. But um, again, it, 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 those priorities take, take a matter. And then, you know, when we talk about leadership, it's tough. And if I'm not investing or reinvesting in myself every once in a while, I'm not going to be able to show up every day for my family. I'm not going to be able to show up every day for my people as well. And so I think it's really easy to let that, you know, ball that's really focusing on yourself, your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health um, drop. And, and for a lot of years I did. Right. And then I realized like, I'm, I'm not going to be my best self. I'm not going to be, um, able to really move forward in my career unless I find a way to reinvest, um, in myself every once in a while too. So I, I think that, you know, it's just perspective that I take as, as a mom of like, you know, you're, you can do it all, but it may not all be perfect at any given time. Um, and that, that seems to work for me, but again, it, um, everybody's, everybody's a little bit different there. Yeah. Wow. You hit on so many good points, um, that I would want to definitely reiterate. Um, and one thing to, to add is that I've been extended myself grace in everything because especially now, you know, um, uh, we're homeschooling, you know, where I live, school's not starting back until after summer. So there are some realities that I need to extend myself grace on. Uh, like right now in this moment, you know, I'm trying to listen and someone's asking me for apple juice and all that. So it's just extending myself grace, taking deep breaths, being patient, and, and also being unapologetic about needing to prioritize myself. Sometimes I think women, we can be very centered on making sure everyone else is okay. And is the client served? Is my family good? And what's helped me is say, like, if I'm not good, no one's good around me. So therefore I have to be unapologetic with saying, no, I'm blocking off these two hours of time on my schedule to either catch up, to rest, to do something for myself. And I think more women need to extend themselves, extend grace to themselves and an opportunity to really rest and reset. I think we live in a culture that is go, 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 go. See right now, opening apple juice. Um, <laughs> and we, we forget there is value in rest and being refreshed to take on the day. And I take that very, very seriously. Going back to what Jessica said about saying no, I thrive in it now. I love uh, honest, being honest and managing people's expectations about what I am able to give. Because at the end of the day, this job is a means. You know, It's not 100% of my life. I love it. I'm passionate about it. But my child and bringing her up in the world is of the most importance. So if that means that you know, hey, I can't attend this event, or thank you for making the cameo, um, or I can't work on this project, I might have to take that L, and that's fine, because it's, it's all a balance at the end of the day, but um, I'm really working on extending more grace to myself and patience, because it's, it's not easy at all, and the last thing I will say is, I also, for whether it's my husband or the men in my life, talking to them about having to step up, you know, for too long, women are doing two jobs. We are full-time at work and then we come home and we're full-time at home, cooking, 
cleaning, figuring out kids' schedule, keeping massive lists in our head about birthday parties coming up that you need a, a card for, doctor's appointments, do we have enough cough medicine? These are the things that can drain you at the end of the day. So for me, it's for the, for the men in our lives or the community that we, our village that we work on, pushing back on them and saying, no, I can't carry this load. You have to step up because a lot of women in, are, are drowning in the responsibility of trying to be all things for all people. And we just won't survive that way. I mean, you, you definitely hit it on the head, li quite literally, my, my next question. First of all, I love this whole panel because Jake, you're outnumbered for the first time. Support the even split. I'm like, Jake, we'll, we'll set up cause. I'm like, wait a minute. It looks it's feeling real, real masculine on this, on this <laughs> podcast. Can we get something? I can't be the only one. Uh, but, you know, I do think that with uh, the, one of the benefits I think that will come out of this pandemic, at least I hope, is that our, our male colleagues and counterparts are now being forced to see like with their own two eyes, what it just a, a piece of in the, and I'll say it's in the traditional household, right? Because we know 2020, everything is different and different people have their households are a little different. Um, but I think people are starting to understand that men are starting to see that, you know, we need to help or, you know, you know, expecting our um, moms, our coworkers, our leaders in our company to be at the happy hour at the bar, like that should not be a hindrance in their career and their aspirations. Like, I think we have to get away from this concept that, you know, you get the way you go up is because of the good old boys club and, you know, the after hours meet and greets and the golf outings and all of this stuff because it's not realistic. And when you have outside priorities, such as your family, such as just another hobby or another interest, like that's okay. Um, so I am hopeful that within the pandemic, that when we come out of this, our male colleagues, I think we'll have more allies in the office when it comes time for advancement or promotions, you know, a taking time off or uh, you know, saying, you know, uh, that colleague uh, who is a woman, you know, was out on maternity leave or had to take care of her family for this long, but that doesn't mean she should be skipped over for this round of promotions. Like, as a matter of fact, she should be advanced because she did her work in lieu of this um, or in addition to this. So I'm super excited for all the things that's going to happen. And I salute both of you. I have a dog who's allergic to the entire world. So I can only imagine what it's like to try and keep an actual human being alive. So kudos to both of you on that. Um, but getting back to, to kind of the topic at hand of being a woman leader in this industry, um, what is something, I know you both mentioned grace and, and you know, Jessica, you mentioned giving yourself um, the ability to not be perfect, but what is something that uh, 2021 woman leader, Jessica, Lindsay, what would tell college or even high school you about being a woman in sports and how you gonna how you get to continue to advance your career um I can go first there because uh, the first thing that came to me uh was leaning into my emotional side and how empathetic I am I honestly believe that women are better leaders because we have more emotional intelligence and uh, no shade whatsoever to men. Men are phenomenal um, human beings, but I do believe that women are much more empathetic. 
and I think that lends itself uh, to being stronger leaders. It lends itself to, to understanding what a team needs to function. It understands pouring into one another so people feel empowered and celebrated. Um, those are all attributes that I think traditionally women were meant to, were encouraged to shy away from uh, and, and were told to be, oh, not, I don't wanna say robotic, but there's a medium in between that of like, you know, no emotions, be straightforward, you know. But I feel like there is benefit in having an emotional connection to an idea or to a team or to a process that I, I think adds to the success of something. So if I could tell my high school self that I shouldn't try to not be emotional, I shouldn't try to, um, I shouldn't try to block my feelings on something because feelings are part of intuition. Um, and intuition, intuition is part of intelligence. So blocking that from developing hinders me coming into a natural leader that I am. So I would tell more women, instead of, of not leaning into your emotion, like use your emotion, redirect your emotion to a more um, energized and effective space, but don't, don't deny it from existing. I think that's great um, advice, Lindsay. And empathetic leadership is the new leadership, right? I think that's what 2020 proved to all of us that um, you know, empathy was probably the, the number one blessing that came out of working from home and getting to see the applesauce requests and the, um, you know, mom, I need to get on my Zoom call when you're presenting to, you know, 50 people in an all staff. So um, I, 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 love, I love that advice. Um, I mean, I think the other thing that, you know, 2020 proved that, you know, probably a, a good reminder as we look into starting 21 is like, you, you cannot assume that life is going to be linear, right? And there are more twists and turns and curves than any of us could even begin to contemplate. And so, you know, looking back to all of our younger selves, I think that there's this um, stigma that you have to have, you have to have the five-year plan and you have to have the 10-year plan. Um, and that's, you know, I call bullshit on it, right? Like, um, you know, a, a one-year plan rock solid, you know, and even that evolves and changes. And, and so, um, I guess my advice would be like, don't feel like you have to figure it out that you're putting unnecessary pressure on yourself, but be looking, always looking for those opportunities that maybe you're, you weren't expecting um, to present themselves. And when they do lean into them um, and own them um, because you'll be amazed on where they might take you. And, and so I think that idea of like, it's gonna be uncomfortable, you, like all of us, and we're, we've gotta get comfortable being uncomfortable more often, um, but you know, have the confidence that if you put yourselves in the right position and you show up every day and do your best work, um, the plan, will present itself where you will be able to capitalize on a plan when it does. Jesse. You totally just spoke to like my whole spirit in life. I used to get made fun of because I, I had a colleague or a friend of mine who at my thing, I won't call his name out because he might actually listen to this podcast and feel some type of way, but came to my Thanksgiving table and sat down and my family, my parents, my grandmother were just so in awe by his five-year plan. He had a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. And then he turned to look at me and was like, so Laura, what's your five-year plan? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just trying to eat my Thanksgiving dinner and get my stuff and can I get some apple pie? And to this day, 
like now that my parents are starting to catch on, like, okay, maybe she, she'll be all right. Like she doesn't need a whole five-year plan. So you just, I'm with you on that one. My, every time I make a plan, it just, it just chops out and it completely changes. But I think that is so important, especially as uh, women in sports, right? Like the ability to be flexible is so important because it's exactly like you said, you have to be open and willing to take those opportunities, to see those opportunities, be open to opportunities and to, to take those opportunities um, when, when they appear and, and be confident and be okay with, you know, taking your career into your own hands. Because I think that's something that we as women oftentimes have a second thought. Like we tap into that, like, oh, you know, I can't, now's not a good time, or I don't want to bring this up right now. Whereas our male counterparts, sorry, Jake, tend to just be like, we're going straight forward. Like, go, 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 go. So I, I appreciate both of your words, Jake. I cut you off because they was on a roll. Hey. Like, I'm energized. I'm ready. Like, Hey, nothing, nothing wrong with, you know, just like all gas, no break. But I think, you know, as you, as you think about, uh, Jesse, I, I was thinking about something you said in terms of, um, you know, understanding that even that one-year plan is going to change, right? You think about when you sit down for your goals of 2021 and what am I going to accomplish this year? Once you get like halfway through, you look back and you realize like, wow, I had to take this pivot, that pivot, that right turn. And half the stuff that I put in my plan, I didn't even get to do or accomplish or something changed, right? To where you, you just, the next six months are even that much more different. And so, um, Staying in the present is something that's tough. I think we all go through that challenge, right? It's, and there's a lot of things and, and phrases and words that we can all throw out there uh, that you know, make us feel better, but at the same time, they're hard. Uh, and we have to face that realization, as you said, you know, not to be perfect and realize that you're not gonna be able to be present every day, hands down. It's just not gonna happen. But how can you be present as much as possible? Um, so. Are there certain, you know, rituals or, or just habits that you've tried to create in order to be more present or um, to Lindsay's point saying no, does saying no put you back in the present? Um, what, what are some of those things that you work on? Um, one thing, honestly, that I, I, I'm so grateful for because of the pandemic is um, I have really leveraged almost a flexibility of schedule. Uh, so now I, every day at 12 o'clock, I work out hands down. Like that's just what I do now. And I think making sure that no one messes with that time is, <laughs> it almost seems like I am, I, I mean, I am being this way. I'm being very bullish about making sure people know that just because I'm not on a call or on, a, on I'm not on a conference, that if, that if I'm dedicating an hour to myself, that is just as important um, as a conference call. Um, so I will thank the pandemic for, helping me being able to prioritize myself and, and do it in a way where I don't feel bad about it. Um, but I also think, and, and, and not to get all, you know, Oprah, Super Soul Sunday, I think it, it, as far as living in the present is finding constant ways to have, be in a state of gratitude because we are all kind of struggling right now, uh, whether it is because of our jobs or because of pandemic fatigue or whether it's just you know, outside of today, you know, just the, the political calamity um, that we've all been in um, over the last couple of weeks, you know, it is, 
it, it should be something that is required for us to step back and say, all right, what am I grateful for in this moment right now? Like, I'm grateful that I have internet working, honestly, because some people, I can't imagine, what if my internet working? Like, what if it went out? What would one do? So I'm trying to, every single day, focus on what are those moments of gratitude that'll keep me more present because I can't worry about what's to come. There's no point of worrying about things that haven't happened yet. And I also, I can't reflect back on the things that have already happened because they're done. So for me to stay in the moment, it's about constantly finding the things to be grateful for and then letting that motivate me like forward, if that makes sense. I think that's great perspective. Um, you know, one of the other things that I try to do, I, I, I'm envious of your 12 o'clock workout. Um, I do not have control of my own schedule. Uh, it's something I need to work on, but um Another way, you know, to really stay present, I think, is um, to constantly learn. Um, and the idea of like the minute you stop learning, you're out of date, right? And the the speed in which our industry, our world, human needs are evolving, um, it kind of forces you to, you know, to stay present, right? Because you're trying to just keep up with the evolving world. And I think that, especially when we think about the speed in which you know innovation is happening, or the speed in which our industry is pivoting, um, I think that's really helpful too. And staying present is like kind of continuously um, learning and asking really good questions and engaging in conversation like this, right? Because um, you know I think if you can't pick up some new nugget or learn something from every conversation in, then you you haven't listened and you haven't been present in the conversation either. Um, so. That would be another perspective on yeah that is so i like just nuggets i'm getting i'm gonna be dropping gems on my twitter feed for like weeks to come after this so thank you um you know pivoting a little because we do have you know a, a very large male listenership because you know we're basically platinum at this point right jake our podcast is, is platinum you Something know like that. Yeah. Stuff like that right um I think that what I'm learning or have learned in this time of, of uh, awakening, if you will, over the past year and some change, uh, is that a lot of um, men, a lot of those um, in the in the majority are looking for how do I, what do I do? How do I help? What do I, what do I do? So I think we as women are just naturally born just a tad bit tougher that just, just off rip, like, just a little bit tougher, right? But what can a Jake or a, another male colleague do to how, how do we encourage them or empower them to be allies or to, you know, what are some tools in a meeting that they could use when the proverbial uh, speak over situation happens or the, uh, that's a great idea. Uh, actually that came from uh, uh, Jessica. <laughs> who just said that, I just rechanged it and reiterated it. But like, what are some tips and tricks, I guess, for our male listeners that they could use in those situations to point it out, call it out, point it out and say, hey, you know, her voice is just as valid, if not more than mine. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you know, taking it one step back, maybe from, you know, this idea of female to just the idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion too. What we 
I think learned or many of us learned like this was a huge personal growth year for me as well to say um, it's not enough to be a silent ally, right? Like I can't just be in the room and say, um, you know, I'm an ally or I'm an advocate without doing, you know, taking an active role in, in that relationship. And I think that it, that is um, similar to what, it, what we would give, the advice we would give to Jake, right? And so I think it's first, you got to do your own homework, right? Like I think that idea of like, you know, waiting for you, Laura, or you, Lindsay, to tell me about yourselves or to tell me about your history or the struggles you faced, I've got to do my own homework. I've got to get educated on the topic first. Um, and then, I, and then you know, we've got to be willing to engage in those tough conversations um, to, to learn more, to seek to understand, and then to have a voice, not just to be that silent ally. And so I think that's, you know, similar and really sound advice for our male counterparts is like, you know, do, do your homework, do the lifting on your end um, first. Don't expect that all of your women friends or your sisters or your wives should be the ones kind of like bringing it forward to you. Um, but then, you know, be vocal and be active and, and, and take a, um, a, a, a proactive role as opposed to a reactive or a silent supporter role. Um, so I don't know, and, and Lindsay, obviously you're, you're a subject matter expert in your, in your new role, but um, I think there's a lot of um, crossover that we could, um, you know, kind of take in that regard. And, I, and I'll just, I'll, I'll butt in real quick before Lindsay goes, because when I hear you talk about that, Jesse, it's all about the approach, right? The way in which you approach it uh, impacts the result, hands down the process, whatever the case might be. So I'll put that nugget in, I think, Lindsay, for maybe you to run with a little bit. Um, and if you're, if I'm wrong, hey, tell me. No, that was, that was a good nugget. Um, I'm aligned with that. I, th three immediate things came to mind and some may not like it, but I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to drop truths. I'm here for it. <laughs> The first thing is we, we have to address a little bit of an ego issue that I have incurred constantly in my career. And ego is not um, only for the male gender. Women have egos as well. So I don't want to seem like I'm naive to that. However, I do th think that there is an ego that um, contributes to a little bit of a toxic masculinity culture that so often sports institutions um, deal with and have a hard time addressing. And ego is so much of a personal thing that usually is driven from a self, uh, from a, a place of uh, lack of confidence. So almost echoing what Jessica mentioned, I would love for men and people in general, honestly, but men to get more comfortable. Thank you. Sorry, give me one second. <laughs> here, 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 here. Um, I would love for men to um, work on their confidence and know that a female leader is not taking away from your value uh, because some of that I think is part of the ego issue. Um, so that's the first thing is, is addressing ego because I think if you have ego, it doesn't allow, you're not allowing yourself to open up um, for others to kind of be in a position of power. Um, I also think that um, allowing women to take up space, uh, looking around and saying, who's not in the room? Who's not in the conversation? You're scheduling a call to 
you know, plan a project or dealing with the strategy. If female voices are missing, we need you to be the one to bring that up because we're, we're missing from there. So we can't bring that up and our, and our voices can't be heard. So looking around the room and allowing women to take up space. Um, and I also think that there is almost a, um, and again, this is from my experience, it's almost needing men to combat areas where they thrive in women not being there, if that makes sense. So like if, you know, I'll give you a real life example at, uh, in my career where I was working, I won't say the organization, uh, but there was a golf outing and I was the only woman on the account and I was the only woman not invited to the golf outing. And when I asked why I wasn't invited, they were like, oh, well, you, you know, we know you don't really like golf. I was like, I don't care if I don't like golf. I want, I should be invited. There, there's quality conversation that will be had that is dealing with work that I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. So, you know, whether it is I'm stanking it up and I, you know, I'm just on the golf cart, whatever, I should be there and I should have gotten the invite. And the, uh, the guy had the audacity to say, it was like, well, you know, sometimes when women are around, it's really hard for us to bond because, you know, you guys are so sensitive. And no. I was like, what? And I was like, noted, got it. I'm inviting myself now. You just set that up. Um, so it's almost in those spaces because I do know they exist for men. Uh, and, and it's having, who's going to be that male to step up and say, you guys, this is not right. <laughs> we need to fix this because we can't fix systems that were marginalized from. Like if you're in it, you have to fix it. There's only so much we can do. And I know Jessica mentioned, uh, or she hinted at intersectionality a little bit, but like, it's, it's a very similar thing where if people of color, if queer people, if people are differently abled, are they're, they're not even represented, they're not at the table, they can't fight for themselves. So we need, an, we need someone who has position and power and influence to say, something's not right here. You know, we, we need some female presence in this conversation on this project, because if we're not there, we can't fight for ourselves. So, but part of that is again, getting over a little bit of that ego. I think that is so true. And, and so real and so honest. And I, and I think within you know the past year and just some change, and honestly, this next generation of, of sports athletes, of employees, of inventors, of tech, like this next generation, I feel, sorry, Jake, not your generation, a generation or two after you. Um, but I feel like they are coming in with fire, like this fire inside of them that is no, like everybody is equal. We're like, we all need to, we all should be treated equal. Like the shoulds, right? The, the, the childlike, um, I guess, thought process that, you know, of course everybody should be invited to the golf outing or to the birthday party, because that's what you do. You invite everybody and you treat everybody the same. And so I, I do see hope and, uh, and really excited for this next generation uh, of young professionals because I think they're going to come in and challenge the status quo at a lot of offices and a lot of companies and say and start to pick and choose um, similar to what you're seeing with some of the, the division one athletes stepping away from for football stepping away from the the powerhouse schools and choosing smaller HBCUs I think you're going to start to see a lot of really top talent go away from a big team or an organization because they're going to start asking culture questions. And I think organizations have got to be ready to have those answers or else they're going to lose the top talent. 
Um, so I am I am so thrilled uh, that that both of you are hitting on this. And then I think let's touch on the the small topic because I know we want to wrap up soon. But representation. I think to to talk about representation as a woman in sports, a woman in general, and not note on this day, on this day, a woman is the vice president of these here United States. And we have a first gentleman, okay? And she's not only a woman, she's a woman of color. Talk about the power of representation because I don't think we cannot, we can't hone in on that message enough. I know we say it a lot, but I think we have, we've got to keep saying it. So what does representation do for you? Or what does that mean? Like, how does that um, seeing a woman in a spot holding a seat that's been held by men since forever, like wh what does that do or, or how does that make you feel? Um, for me, I, I, I don't need, again, don't want to sound corny, but like you can't be what you can't see, right? So like I need to see that a woman has made it to a certain point in her career to know that I can do that. It's very similar with now a lot of young black girls are looking and like, wow, I, that is something I can do. Like, because I see myself in that individual. So representation is so important. I also think a, a lesser known discussion around representation is, I think when you are the only in the room, when you always have a sense of otherness. And for me, you know, at Wasserman, I was the only black woman in my office for 10 years up until last year when we hired a young black woman. Uh, we did have a couple of black female interns, um, but full time, I was the only black woman. Um, and then I was the only black person in our office up until two years ago when we hired four young black men. So that feeling of being an, feeling like an outsider daily and feeling like you, you have to represent not just for yourself, but for your people, for coming from an HBCU, like not coming from wealth, the way a lot of the people I'm surrounded from were coming from. And it, it messes with your confidence. And I think when you, when you don't have representation in spaces, it creates, for me and my personal experience, it created really bad case of imposter syndrome where I constantly was thinking I wasn't good enough because I was the only one there. And so often I felt the weight of, well, I have to overperform. I have to make sure I'm over delivering because people aren't just looking at me as Lindsay. They're looking at me as a black woman. And so therefore, for some of them who don't interface with black people or black women, I'm their only experience. So I have the weight of making sure that the way they view black women is based on my performance. And that's a huge undertaking. I think a lot of black people in many different industries deal with and not even deal with, but they're coping with it. It affects our confidence to be the only one in a space. So when you have more representation, you feel more confident in yourself and what you have to offer. You know, for some of the, the, one of the young black guys that we just hired, you know, it was like day two when he got here and he came in my office, he was like, so glad to see you here. And I was like, I understand that. Let me help you. Uh, because there is a sense of connection when you realize, you know, we, we have very similar struggles in trying to build a brand for ourselves and a name for ourselves. So representation is so much more than just being able to go on a website and see black and brown female faces. It is about the younger black and brown female, queer, any marginalized per person who's there, seeing someone who makes them feel better about themselves. And that is very, very deep at the end of the day, because if you're not confident, then how are you gonna be good at anything? 
but it's a it's a real it's a real thing. So representation is, man, it's so important. Lindsay, you gave me you gave me the title for the episode. It's hard conversations, but I you know I think um, Jesse, you're going to add on uh, in that respect. Lindsay nailed the internal benefits. I mean, I think from an engagement perspective, how important representation is and the impacts it has on confidence, on talent development, your ability to see yourself and it elongates your career. It elongates your term at a, at your workplace, right? If you can look above and see a path for yourself and not just a path, but someone that looks like you or is like you, right? And that path, um, the, the burnout is real, right? Like when you're taking that load and you, um, of on your shoulders, at, you know, as a marginalized class, um, it's, re it's real. So I think the internal um, benefits, Lindsay nailed, but there's external benefits. There's benefits to business too, um, to have that representation of, you know, I think from the agency perspective, both GMR and Wasserman, like if our task is to bring client strategies that are representative of diverse audiences and you don't have that represented internally at the table ideating, um, that's not good for business. Like you're not going to be able to bring the best strategies, the best activations, the best business impact to our clients as well. So, um, you know, I, I think it's twofold. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I think you can't, you can't underestimate it. And then because we're both moms of girls, um, what a day, right? Like, I think it, it, that's what gives me hope. Like, as we're sitting in the middle of like the hardest personal and professional years of our lives, like it's that younger generation that is going to grow up seeing um, the first, you know, female co colored vice president with the, the first husband, right? Like, that's amazing um, for the next generation. So it, I, I think we can't underestimate the, the legacy impact, um, either. Jesse, you mentioned at, at the beginning of the episode, kind of you working your way up to, to, you know, oversee the San Francisco office, right. And, and make your way up the leadership ladder. You know, I think about baseball where I started and, uh, we had Jose Diverjon in our last episode where he talked about, you know, and I did the same thing when I was at OU, I looked at all the different GMs and how, you know, what were their paths and how could I get, but all of them are males, right? And we had Kim Ang, who is now the first female GM of the Miami Marlins, you know, recently announced in the last few months. And, you know, Kim spent years and years and years and years in the, in the major league office in New York, and she's now finally getting her chance, which is fantastic. But if you were a woman trying to get into the game and you did the same thing that Jose and I did and look at all the GMs and go, where are their paths? You would then see that out of all 30, none of them were women, right? So that you would automatically go, well, I can't do that. Uh, and so I think it's, again, you talked about the representation piece, but it's not only, um, it's not only on the business side, it's on the player side, it's on every aspect of the industry. Uh, and so, you know, as you think about how you've gone up the ladder from a leadership perspective, how can you help influence the other leaders that you deal with uh, and work with to, you know, align and, and make that progress in that sense? Um, and then we'll throw it to Laura for some rapid fire to wrap up. Yeah, Jake, just a quick antidote. Um, 
So when I started in the sports industry, you know, you're, I'm a competitor, right? So like it was looking at all the men and like, okay, you know, it's on, right? Like I'm going to be able to succeed. I'm going to be able to show them. Um, and the competitor in me came out because there wasn't that female, um, you know, representation or advocate that I was, you know, seeing myself in. Um, but I also had said, you know, when I was coming up, Laura, with my five and 10 year plan back in the day that like, hey, I know I want to be a mom, you know, I'm going to work like a dog until my daughter's in kindergarten. And then this industry is probably not for me, right? Because like, I just didn't see the path at that point. Um, fast forward, like two amazing female mentors um, and bosses that I had the opportunity to work under. Um, my daughter's in kindergarten and I'm still here, right? Because I was able to see myself and really see that you don't have to compromise and you can be unapologetically a woman and a mom in this industry. But I didn't have that vision when I was in OU and I didn't have that vision coming out of OU, but I was really lucky to get to work under and next to some amazing female role models. And so um, that was that was huge to, to why I'm still here. Um, and then I think about, you know, how do we not make that lucky for women of the future like that i i got lucky right i got to work under two amazing women um but that shouldn't be a luck thing right that should be just the norm of our industry moving forward that we are diverse enough that no matter who you are and what you want to be you can find someone you can find a mentor you can find someone that you can connect and relate to and so i guess to your your actual question um I, we, we have to be intentional as an industry, like diversity is any difference that makes a difference, right? And so we have to be intentional about continuing to evolve, um, break and rebuild, um, or, you know, redefine the industry norms um, so that it is set up for our daughters and so that they can see themselves um, in the future. Yes, that's really good. Um, I would add to that um, because I think there are some realities of the lack of female, definitely um, females of color, uh, queer females, differently abled females, all the intersections you can think of. There are some realities of the lack of leadership that exists in sports um, at the end of the day. So for, for me, my, my perspective on that is, um, to, to Jessica's point about so many, so many of us are not lucky in that way. So my attitude is, you know, if you are in an organization that is, um, has a leadership that doesn't look like you, what is the work that that leadership needs to do to find the commonality? And um, so if I am a white heterosexual male, who says that you can't, you can't mentor me? Yes, you're not going to be able to talk to me about the hurdles I face as a Black woman. However, you are, thank you, you are able to talk to me about managing up. You're able to help me work on my strategic mind. So I think it's a problem or something that needs to change is for male leaders, white male leaders, because a lot of them are leading these uh, agencies, brands, leagues, teams, institutions, is for them to, again, develop some empathy to say, let me find the common denominator with this person and help them. 
because they are in the positions of power. So instead of me hoping and wishing and waiting for a woman to be elevated to a certain position at Wasserman, I'm going to push the males at Wasserman to say, you can mentor and coach a young Black female or young white female or a young Black man, because at the end of the day, like we all have common goals of thriving in our career and they're transferable skills that you can give us if you just look past who we are and look at us as human beings who just need help. So I think, you know, we have to either, you either appeal to the empathy in people or you appeal to the business revenue generating opportunity. Um, that's to me, two ways that you get people to care about diversity and inclusion. Um, so if the empathy doesn't work, then you lay out with facts. Wasserman is so based in insights and analytics and they're all insights that say that when you have more diverse leadership, your organizations are more innovative, they're more productive, they produce more business. So if I can't tap into you on the empathy tip, then I'm going to go the business route, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, that's fantastic, Lindsay. Uh, rapid fire, Jesse, we're going to yeah. start with you. Yes. All right. So we got through the heavy stuff and the tough questions, but now we're going to get to the really good stuff. Okay. So it's off top of your head. The first things come to your mind. Are you ready? Yes. First question is, are you an original chocolate Oreo person? Or do you mess with the vanilla Oreos? No, original. original. Smart women. Smart women I have on here. Okay. Next one. Uh, let's dig a little deeper into, to, into a little bit of Athens life, or, or if you will, right? So um, are you more of a uh, race for a reason 5K -er, or a race for a reason mud run? Definitely not the mud run. Okay. Mud run. If I can shotgun a beer before I run in the mud. It, it only makes it better. It only makes it better. Thank you so much, uh, both of you. You know, I think just in closing before Jake wraps it up, I think the biggest thing to take away here is just with anything, uh, like everyone is saying here on differences and, and making your business better, making your company better, your organization, organization better, right? Like the times and the days and the years of we can't find a qualified insert whatever is so gone and so no longer acceptable because I think we've proven through this pandemic and through the internet that we can find anyone across the world to work in a job. So I think, like you said, Jess, it is being intentional, which is my word for 2021. Um, and being intentional about the, the same amount of intent that you put in making money for the companies, the same amount of fire that needs to be put into making sure your leadership is reflective of the society and what it should look like. It's not about what it is, what does it look like today, it's what does it, what should it look like and how do we get to that point, but then also identifying the barriers that are keeping people who are different from getting to that spot and being willing to change that. Um, so lots of fire, lots of like so many gems. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm gonna be dropping gems for the a next- A lot of week. nuggets, a lot of nuggets. Lots of nuggets. Um, Jesse, Lindsay, Laura, I know I learned something today. Um, can't thank you enough. Uh, really appreciate you spending time on our uh, AECOM Ohio University Sports Administration Series Life After Court Street. Until next time.